For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening and welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Michael Newton, who is filling in for Josh Miller tonight. Michael, welcome back. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Your partner Josh is uh, on, I guess, what is now becoming a biannual trip to Hong Kong? Uh, well, it's supposed to be annual. Every once in a while, he makes it a biannual. But yeah, he's been doing this for a number of years, and it gets a little uh, gets a little feel for uh, what's going on between the Canadian and the uh, and the market in China. It's a very interesting perspective. A lot of talk now about uh, free trade agreements. Uh, where where do we stand uh, in terms of our relationship? You think with China in the years to come? Well, I think China's got uh, you know multiple issues to deal with. I mean, transparency is still going to be a major problem within China. Hong Kong pretty much a non-issue, but once you hit mainland China, you're going to end up with uh, a very different way of doing things, and I think the lesser of the concerns, unfortunately, will be the Canada-China relations. Uh, probably a little more politically driven is going to be the U.S.-China relations over the mm. next little while. And uh, we'll get uh, some news from Josh when he gets back uh, next week, and uh, we'll find out uh, how productive his trip w uh, was and, and what kind of issues came up uh, as well. Uh, today on the program, we're going to talk about uh, digitizing, and uh, this is getting to the point where, uh, where a lot of big organizations now have to go digital, and there are businesses that serve that. So we'll talk to Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus in a little bit. Yep, definitely. The uh, the whole push of trying to go paperless as much as possible sounds a lot easier than it really is, especially when you start getting into professional firms like accountants and lawyers and the whole discussion of what stands true as a true document once you've, once you've PDF'd it. Hmm. Yeah, you. Uh, I'm sure you guys have a lot of documents over at the office. Uh, yeah, and, and in a few other places. Mm -hmm. um, so they are on the way. Plus, we'll take uh, talk about HR uh, towards the end of the show as well, human resources. But first, as usual, some entrepreneurial news of the week. And uh, the big story today, of course, is uh, the, the fact that it's Cyber Monday, uh, this huge uh, pre-holiday shopping blitz. Is this the reality of um, of the way we're going to shop in the modern age, Michael? Do you think this is uh, uh, Cyber Monday is uh, is here to stay as as we we have these little bursts of uh, of shopping activity online? Well, Cyber Monday obviously being a fall off of uh, good old uh, Black Friday, and I think uh, the funny thing is it's no longer confined to Friday and Monday. It seems to find itself at least a week in advance, or or seems to almost start once Halloween is done and and you kick in. Um, and there's no doubt that you look at this and you say, you know, what are the effects on big businesses versus small business? And obviously on the small business, very different. You know, large businesses are trying to clear out inventory. They're trying to make room for uh, some more Christmas goods. They're trying to move some product that may not be moving between now and the next little while. Not a luxury that a lot of smaller businesses really have to blow stuff out at cost just to uh, just to move it and turn it into cash flow. Unfortunately, that's that. You know, that's the pressure. And let's face it, the marketing that comes with Cyber Monday or Black Friday, for that matter, is massive. If you look at the number of emails that I've received from U.S. retailers and Canadian retailers in the last week, um, there's no way small business can keep up with that kind of massive exposure. That was my next question. I mean, is there a way for small and medium-sized businesses to uh, to make a dent on uh, Cyber Monday, or is this really uh, a day for the big players? Well, the big players are certainly going to have the lineups, you know, around the door, uh, you know, around the block, of trying to get people to come in, and you know, they're going to use a lot, a lot of loss leaders to move move inventory. I think it's a much harder time for the small businesses. The only good product, uh, or the good uh, byproduct of the exercise, sorry, is the the ability to uh, you know get a little bit of buzz going for people to shop. So if you do have, you know, online and you have that ability, then the likelihood is you might get a few 
more people, uh, a little more traffic than you normally would on Monday. Do I think it's going to make a difference in your uh, annual sales? Probably not. So try to create something viral that can maybe compete for attention uh, with a big, uh, big business. Yeah, it's you know it's about having having the support there as well. So if uh, you know somebody's going to look online for I don't know they're going to look at uh, Zales or K's in the U.S. for diamonds and you know they got the ability to look locally for something that they don't have to pay uh, duty and import and tax and everything else that comes with it. You know maybe you can make a bit of a dent, but uh, you're certainly not going to get hundreds and thousands or millions of people traipsing to your uh, uh, to your website if you're a small business on Cyber Monday. The Globe and Mail reporting that uh, Concordia here, the GMSB, John Molson School of Business, will offer a course on taking over an existing business, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, is this something that you think uh, should be taught in schools? And uh, if you were uh, the instructor, what would be some of the key chapters in that course? Oh, 100%. I think this is something that everybody needs to have an exposure to in business school. Uh, you know, a lot of times that uh, the, you, you, you target the wrong business. So it's one thing to say, I'm taking over a business. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a completely different thing to find the right business and go at it from the right angle. And I mean, we spend a lot of time uh, and a lot of speaking on uh, the due diligence process, finding the right business, making sure that uh, the business that you're looking at makes sense, the due diligence, you know, how do you go about doing doing a due diligence? Nice to say you've got a checklist, but there still has to be some kind of basis what's, uh, to, to what you're looking at. And whether you're buying them for synergies, whether you're buying them for geographical reasons, whether you're buying them for a process, whether you're just looking to make a dent in a different market, there are all different reasons to to be acquiring a business. And I think there's a lot of people out there that jump into the entrepreneurial side of buying a business and realize they're a little bit too deep uh, once they start or have gone in the wrong direction. How do you combat the sort of under new management problem? Uh, what if you don't do things quite like the successful entrepreneur who proceeded you did? I mean, how do you sort of make sure that you keep the essence of the business and, and make sure the customers stay? I think it depends on what your purpose is for doing the acquisition to begin with. I mean, if you're looking at, at adding a product line to an existing uh, group of products, uh, very different than taking over a service business where, you know, the knowledge base resides in somebody's head. So, you know, again, it's it's a function of, of what am I taking over? Why am I taking Taking over? Have I spent enough time thinking about it as opposed to waking up one morning and say, hey, today I'm going to go buy a business. Uh, what's for sale? You know, I know guys that'll spend two, three, four years looking for a business. You also know other guys that are in business that ha are looking to add on that will move much quicker. Interesting piece in the Globe and Mail about uh, a phenomenon that they call the psychopath in the corner office. Uh, what happens if uh, you happen to be an unfortunate soul who's working under someone who's uh, uh, very tough? And uh, this letter from Rebecca in Toronto reads, uh, I finally made it to VP, but turns out my new boss is a psychopath. He's charming and well put together, but he enjoys tormenting us with mind games and playing us off one another. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with a boss uh, who uh, who makes... I guess uh, your day-to-day -day a bit uh, torturous. First of all, I'd like to correct that. I'm not in the corner office. I'm in the middle office. <laughs> uh, second of all, it's not socio it's psychopath. It's sociopath. Um, look, I mean, there's no doubt that the, the dealing with the boss that, that's going to be playing the games. I mean, I, I think it, 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 you know, we have a, we spend a lot of time uh, learning how to deal with the people below us and very little time being spent on how to deal with the people above us. And I have to say that there's, some, there's an awful lot of good literature out there that'll help you how to manage your boss. 
And those are the types of things you should be looking at. I mean, I am reading regularly, uh, you know, how to work with toxic uh, colleagues or, you know, how to deal with the psychology aspect. Uh, I th- I'm a firm believer in body language. You know, learn to understand the body language. You may be saying X, but you may actually be saying Y. So there's a whole bunch of aspects that I think that the, the individuals that are working for somebody may want to be doing their own homework on. Uh, there's no doubt that, you know, that, that the uh, proverbial person in the corner office... Um, you know, it's their business. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to have to learn to accommodate and work with the, the way they are. It doesn't mean that uh, you, you, you accept uh, certain things that are unacceptable. But the reality is you're still signing your paycheck. And I think you have an obligation to understand him or her as much as they have an obligation to understand you. Those managers do have to manipulate, of course, their employees and keep certain strategies secret and uh, deploy resources a certain way. When does that cross the line uh, between, you know, sort of uh, managing and manipulating or, or creating a tense atmosphere? Well, I think, they're, 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 you know, part of this is a whole discussion of transparency. And, and certainly the old school is not transparent. The new school really pushing to try and be as transparent as possible. The reality is you can't give everybody every strategic decision at the end of the day for a number of reasons. One being, well, maybe somebody's not going to be here next week. Do you really want them having all of that intel? Um, And I think the other side of it is, you know, my definition of management is getting somebody to do something they didn't want to do without them knowing they're actually doing it. Mm. So, you know, the reality is mind games are are all going to be part of it because uh, the direction that you want to go with your business, you may not have everybody with the same buy-in level. Okay, and if everybody had the same passion, energy, and intensity, I'm not talking about the psychopath. I'm talking, you know, the general, you know, uh, well-intentioned boss. Not everybody's going to have that same motivation. And sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Coming up, we'll talk to Mel Squires and Malcolm D'Souza of DocuPlus. uh, And we'll talk HR as well later in the program. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Michael Newton filling in for Josh Miller tonight. This evening, let's welcome Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus. Gentlemen, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. It's great being here. Thanks for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Um, So first, easiest question, what is DocuPlus? Tell us about uh, your business. Long story short, DocuPlus, uh, we help law firms and businesses streamline processes and reduce costs by helping them move from paper to digital and providing them uh, enhanced ways of managing even litigation uh, through some of the technology platforms we have in a hosted environment. Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're doing some work for us as well. So, uh, you know, you got to practice what you preach to a certain degree. Uh, the reality of trying to push our, our world, especially in the professional firms, into, into the digital ages uh, is a little slow at times. Uh, but there's no doubt that the volume of paper that's being handled by the legal and the accounting and other businesses is phenomenal. Uh, and we have to find a way to, uh, to get through that. I mean, we went through a period where we did a count in October to determine the number of... Um, Hit, not hits, but a number of uses uh, along the way. And we had 87,000 uses in the month of October between paper and scan and everything else. So there are, you know, this is an astronomical amount of uh, investment up front, but for, uh, for a long-term, uh, long-term savvy. 
So between, you know, the, the 80s for, or 90s when things started to become computerized and today, I mean, are, are we seeing the emergence of businesses like yours that, that are based only in, in, I guess, in that transition? How, how much long, longer will it take, do you think, for businesses to completely digitize? I think we're still a, a long way away. Paper is still uh, quite intensive in the market, uh, especially in uh, the accounting world and the legal world where, you know, they're still producing a lot of paper. There is a lot of digital, obviously, being created and hence the uh, transition of our business from a paper environment where we started on the copying and printing side and though we still do it, have transitioned, uh, transitioned, I should say, towards the digitalization and the uniqueness of the process to be able to not just digitize documents, but allow you to legally destroy them thereafter because of the process we've taken to follow certain rules and regulations of the laws that are out there. Back in the 80s, you know, we, we always all heard about the paperless office, but here we are, 2016, and we are still a long way from there. And every day I walk in and I see hundred or so boxes that we just received from Full Orlando to scan. So uh, <laughs> that, that represents a hundred to probably millions that are out there still to be done. So we're a long way, but uh, part of the reason we're still a long way that it's change for business and that's never easy. We're trying to make it easier for everybody, but until you get to that point, uh, you still have to go you know, and, and take the time to do it. But you also have to recognize at the end of the day, we're not just talking about digitization of documents. You're talking about a whole document management system, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, that whole area where it's nice to say somebody's scanning in and, you know, they wave goodbye when they're finished their job and those hundreds of boxes have now been tossed out. The reality is, is you're creating a whole different wave where, you know, I started in Fuller in 89 and, you know, you had two, three people working in the filing room and, you know, every time you needed something, you signed it in and signed it out, like going to the library. Well, the reality is you still need those people. They're just very different people in document management in terms of, you know, God forbid we allow people in our office to actually store things themselves electronically. We'd never find them. No, it's a needle in a haystack, right? 100%. So it's not just getting them in. It's how to find them. And you need professionals to be able to make sure that it's structured correctly because at the end of the day, if you don't know what you're doing, then it's really easy to get it in. But good luck finding it. And when you need it, it's critical. How did the business come about and how do you market it? We'll get into that with Malcolm and Mel in just a moment on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We are with Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus, and of course, uh, Josh Miller is off, and so Michael Newton from Fuller Landau is filling in tonight. Uh, first, let's start with Mel. Uh, can you give us some history on the business? Uh, this actually has roots in, uh, in a previous business. It is. I was uh, president of uh, Icon Office Solutions Quebec Atlantic Marketplace in 2005. Uh, we had just been awarded the Marketplace of the Year in 2003 out of 72 marketplaces. Things were rolling along terrifically, and then I got the news. I was the first person to get the news in a, a company of 38,000 employees worldwide that Icon had decided to restructure. And basically, um, Quebec Atlantic was going to disappear from a management perspective, and all the management of Icon Office Solutions for that part of the country, plus Ontario, was going to be done out of Toronto. They asked me to stay on board uh, as a VP of Business Development for Canada, I decided after three days of thinking about it not to because there was no way they did not give me any concept or idea of how Toronto was going to handle our French-Canadian clients. So I decided to retire at that time. I knew I had a great severance package and the timing was right. And uh, Malcolm was my employee for over 10 years. 
uh, did a terrific job. And I'll let him tell the rest of the story because it's a pretty interesting David and Goliath. Yeah, so after Mel retired, um, I stuck it out uh, running the operations for uh, Quebec Atlantic and uh, didn't see the vision that uh, the folks out of Toronto did, which was to manage the Quebec marketplace with uh, unilingual uh, only and uh, gave it three months of a chance and uh, went back to them and told them this is not working. Customers were complaining, employees were unhappy. They didn't see it the same direction, and uh, I opted to uh, pack up and uh, resign and uh, found my own company in uh, in DocuPlus at that point and uh, literally opened up down the hall in a similar business uh, with a different vision of uh, building a business supported by Quebec people to uh, be able to support our clients and our employees and uh, deliver what they expected. So uh, that's uh, the story of sort of David versus Goliath and uh like Mel said, uh, it was uh, it was challenging. Uh, we went through some struggles, but uh, at the outcome, I think we did the right thing by sticking to our guns. Coming up, we'll talk more about uh, marketing and about uh, describing some of the complicated services that that you uh, that you offer and uh, and how big a business this is going to become in the in the next few years. Uh, we're talking uh, with Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires from Docu Plus. We'll talk about uh, HR a little bit later in the program as well. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, and sitting in for Josh Miller this week is Michael Newton. So far, so good, Michael? We're doing well, as always, Dan. Thanks. Excellent. And Mel Squires and Malcolm D'Souza from DocuPlus uh, with us uh, today. And uh, let's talk a bit. We'll talk a bit about marketing in a, in a second. But first, more on um, on on the establishment of this business, uh, Malcolm. And what about the, the early goings? You, you, you left another company. There was lawsuits there. Um, as it turns out, you did win all of them, but it was a very costly proposition to sort of go out on your own. Tell us about uh, about the, the stressors there and how you overcame them. Absolutely. Uh, to some degree, it was a calculated risk, and we knew what we were getting into, probably not to the financial extent that it was, uh, having to defend ourselves, uh, myself and my business partners, as well as some of the employees. But at the end, we, uh, you know, we had times when we thought about calling it quits and wrapping it up. And then we realized that uh, there was a reason we did this. And uh, we stood our ground and uh, we defended ourselves and our employees. And I think at the end of the day, it was the right decision. And uh, to today, we still have those employees uh, who have stuck by us and are loyal for that reason. And our customers too saw what we had to do. So I think uh, it goes without saying that uh, when you do the right thing, uh, it pays dividends. Mm -hmm. Although I had retired at that time, uh, I did uh, continue supporting Malcolm and the team. And uh, what was interesting, I guess, was that I would provide advice when requested and even when not requested. And uh, Malcolm stayed very focused on the long-term goal. No matter what came in his way, uh, no matter what lawsuit came up, what challenge came up, what partnership issue came up, he focused on the long-term goal. And that, I think, is one of the main reasons why he's, uh, he and DocuPlus and the team are successful. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that uh, people don't realize, especially when they break off from an existing entity, is, is what exactly is going to be the cost, but not necessarily just on the financial side, the time consumption, the, the, the allocation or the dedication to fight lawsuits, non-competes, non-solicits, and, and everything else that comes with it. And, you know, there's a reason uh, there's a reason we put those in place as business owners uh, to avoid people from leaving. Um, but the courts have certainly, uh, you know, varied over years in terms of what they deem to be an acceptable 
available, uh, non-compete or a non-solicit. And, uh, you know, if you are looking at going out on your own, make sure you uh, take that into account because it's, you know, it's one thing to have deep pockets and pay all the bills. It's another thing to be bothered on a regular basis uh, and disrupted in, in, in what you're trying to get off the ground. Yeah, it's a distraction, right? So I think uh, what, to, what Mike said is do your homework, do your due diligence, and, uh, you know, get some advice prior to venturing into something just so you know what you're getting yourself into because once you're in it, sometimes it's too late. But uh, again, it's, it's like keeping your eye on, on the focus. It's like trying to, trying to move your car with the Denver boot on. You know, it's not always <laughs> that easy. So, Have you ever had one? No, I haven't. <laughs> okay. So not only did you have those legal challenges at the beginning, but you also still had a competitor, a very big multinational to go up against. So how did you distinguish yourself from that competitor? Absolutely. I mean, most of our comp competitors are large entities. And uh, in order to do that, we uh, did two things. One, we created strategic alliances with some other vendors out there. We knew what we were great at, which was the uh, service model, you know, serving clients, taking care of employees and building processes. But we partnered with folks on the technology side, uh, you know, folks like Canon Canada and a Quebec-based company as well by the name of Cloud Technologies. Um, and most recently, an Australian-based company called EDT. And through these strategic partnerships, it allowed us to focus on what we do great, allow them to build platforms that we could work with and integrate into our processes in order to offer a unique solution to our clients. And when I say unique, not just uh, to be able to allow clients on the digitization to destroy original documents because we could guarantee the... Uh, ironclad provide a value of those new images, but also a model that's in the cloud, so a SaaS model where they pay as they go for what they need and don't need to invest in infrastructure costs and personnel and, and support structure. So we took the burden upon ourselves with these partners and then offered to our clients as a service, as a solution. ED, EDT is one of our latest uh, solutions for litigation support. And uh, we recently held a conference here in Montreal and one of our first installs uh, made the comment, Malcolm, I think you've got her exact quote pretty well, but I think it's important to mention uh, because the law firms, uh, again, the midsize and the smaller ones, want to have the same access to all the resources of the larger ones. Through the cloud, we can give them that on, as a, on a pay-as-you-go basis. And I believe that's a major future for some of the professional firms in the city and around the country as well. Yeah, what she said was that uh, this solution offered her access to her documents anywhere, anytime, and tripled her productivity without having to invest in technology or a structure that she had in a previous law firm where she was at. So uh, I think it goes without saying is that's what clients today are looking for is ease of access, uh, being able to turn around and get something set up almost instantaneously. And we were able to do that in five days or less and have her case up and running. So uh, that's what we're trying to provide to our clients in uniqueness. Yeah, I think the you know you, you look at the, the the service offerings. I mean, there's obviously the you can do a great job, but you also got to get, start getting the exposure, right? So at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you've got to get uh, either the the organic growth or you're going to grow by acquisitions. Uh, I think something you've done on both sides, uh, absolutely, and are, and are continuing to explore. And and I think especially in 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 a spinoff case where you know you're starting up like that, sometimes the uh, the ability to try and go out and find either a competitor that may be languishing somewhere, uh, in order to kind of hit the ground running in another city is is key and I think that's uh, you know part of that strategic direction is as to where you're going. Well Fuller has certainly been helping us out uh, tremendously on, on the acquisition side. One completed working on a couple now and uh, we hope to get those accomplished in the near future as well. Perfect the 20 bucks is coming after I, for the I know. plug. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, tell us about your your your, uh, your experience uh, acquiring similar companies. What are you looking for uh, when you when you are growing? Synergies. Um, you know, we're looking to grow the business. Uh, obviously, it started here in Montreal and Quebec. 
we want to grow to a national level and even get ourselves into the United States, uh, we've got um, a vision of not just growing organically, like Mike referred to, but going through acquisition. Most recently, we did an acquisition in Ottawa. We're working in a couple right now in uh, Ontario and on the U.S. side as well. And we're looking for synergies. We're looking for uh, people who are owners of businesses with similar visions, cultures, and business ethics. So, I mean, it needs to be a fit for us because um, it is a challenge once you do do an acquisition and try and integrate that within your own business. So, uh, if you can find business partners or business uh, owners that have that same vision and culture, it makes it that much more uh, simplified in the integration process. At the end of the day, we are in the service business, so anybody that we acquire, we need to make sure that they share the same service mentality that we do. Uh, not all, you can have great employees, but not, not all great employees share a service mentality, and that's very, very important to us. We're going to talk about HR in a couple of minutes. Uh, how, has, uh, how have you tried to, uh, to not only assemble a team, but to integrate new members of that team? And what is the, uh, the cohesive vision that you try to impart on your employees? Our vision uh, for our employees is to be able to, you know, customer first, obviously, uh, take care of the clients, empower them to be able to make decisions uh, for the client at any given time. Because not all, all our employees are located within our facility, we do place employees at our client locations. It becomes a little bit more challenging because they're not centralized. So we give them that empowerment. We also want them to be able to manage change with technology and the way business is changing so rapidly, they need to be able to adapt. So providing them the training and the structure and the guidance uh, by our team of operations managers, uh, that's part of the way uh, you know we've built our team and our reputation. One of the challenges always, especially when you start to expand geographically, is that ability to have management on the ground. Uh, and you know it's, it's, it's nice to say you're going to go into Toronto or you're going to go into Ottawa or you're going to go into Vancouver. Uh, there's only so many hours in the day for somebody like Malcolm to to actually be on the ground. So really, as you start to look, you're going to look at uh, two aspects. You're going to look for somebody that may be languishing, may be in trouble, that you might get at a good discount, uh, and then you're going to have to spend a little more time and energy or place somebody in it. And the other is a, is a vibrant, ongoing business that has management on the ground that kind of facilitates and moves forward without him having to spend a huge amount of time in the plane, the train, and what is that, the old uh, John Candy movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. Exactly. <laughs> Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus, uh, you guys are going to stick around and we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur later in the program. And uh, coming up, we'll talk to Christina Luongo, HR advisor at uh, FL. And we're going to talk about just that, uh, merging teams and how to uh, create a, a cohesive unit when you're uh, having different cultures, different businesses, all coming uh, together under the same roof. So that is next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Michael Newton, in for Josh Miller this week. We're joined by Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about HR and in particular, how to uh, bring forces from different companies, different organizations together yeah. cohesively and to move forward. And joining us is Christina Longo, HR advisor at FL. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you. Uh, so is it difficult, Mike, to start um, to, 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 to bring in two different organizations and to merge them together or uh, or is this 
process? Uh, what are some tips in your in your opinion to well, make this process easier? It's broken down into three environments. I mean, first is the once you've acquired or once you've identified the business, you got to go through the due diligence angle. So, of all the various moving parts of the due diligence, one of them is going to be the HR component for fit and people and policy and a whole bunch of things. That, in the grand scheme of things, really is the easy part, okay? Because that's kind of black and white checklist, go through the exercise, do some interviews, walk out and go, yeah, they're good, or yeah, yeah, I don't know, okay? And somebody likely is going to turn around and go, well, it doesn't really matter because we want the sales or we want the geographic location, so make it work, right? So somebody like me is going to turn to Christina and go, okay, we're doing the deal whether you Mm -hmm. like it or not. Now find a way to integrate it. So you've got the next stage, which is really kind of that, that initial honeymoon of bringing them in. And, you know, the, the, the whole exercise of what do you do once they've been advised that they're coming to join you? And I think that's really where, Christina, right. you kind of got involved in the latest one that we did. We had a group yeah, that we closed in June on the acquisition. They joined us in September. So what did, what did Christina do for that, you know, the two-month period in between? Right. Well, thank you, Mike. Well, first of all, we didn't wait till September when they actually joined us to get the process started. Once we found out about the acquisition, the due diligence happened, uh, my goal was then to meet with each employee, which each employee that we've acquired, um, have that interview with them, identify what their skill set are, what their background is, what are their concerns. That's very important. You want to know what their attitude is. Are they going to embrace the change? Are they going to resist the change? I think you want to know who your key players are, who are people who are going to be on your side and going to advocate the change to other employees. Um, So I think that was very important. Also highlight all the employment conditions. So for example, if we are offering only three weeks vacation, but the acquiring uh, company is only offering two. You want to highlight all the differences, make sure that there's a synergy, make sure everyone's on board. Uh, so that's definitely important. Yeah, the hard part, I think, for, for anybody that's doing the HR integration component is dealing with people like me at the end of the day. I mean, the deal's the deal, right? Uh, I can see the long-term benefits. I can see everything else. So how do we piece it all together? How do you put the puzzle together? Obviously, any integration in any different business is going to have a different exercise. If I'm integrating, you know, shop floor employees uh, over, uh, you know, accountants or lawyers, uh, there's a very different approach. Uh, and it's many cases, especially the accountants, uh, the change is not a word they like to put in their vocabulary. So at the end of the day, it makes Christina's job that much more right. complicated. Uh, once you get past that initial stage like you did, and then, then, then they hit the ground on, Jan- on September 6th right. when they joined us, now what do you go into? Right. Uh, well, first of all, I think what's important is to communicate from the beginning. So I think what we did a good job at is communicating to our employees and to the inquiring employees why the acquisition was happening, was going to be the impact. I think communication to all employees was key. So then once they actually started, people were all on board. Uh, actually, actually, once they started as well, what we did is we had a nice welcome lunch. So all employees together uh, had a chance to meet each other, get to know each other better, it was a nice atmosphere, getting everyone together in the boardroom. At that point, we had already settled, okay, where are they going to be sitting, uh, what their business cards are going to look like, what their titles are, what their departments. These are all things that we settled before they actually started. So a lot of those, that fear that unknown was already settled. So when they started on their first day, it was a lot, okay, let's get to know each other better. Let's, uh, let's meet my new colleagues. And after once they got to their workstations, then they were ready to start working. Yeah, it, the, the, you know, that's uh, you, and you've gotten the whole exercise, you've got somebody looking over your shoulder going, so how's this going? Are they ready For to start sure. working? Are they ready yeah. to start getting something done? Where's the chargeable and time? And my role, of course, was there to support them, to hear their concerns along the way for both our employees, our FL employees, because a lot of our FL employees were also nervous about how this was going to affect them. So on both ends, you don't only want to 
you know, worry too much about the employees not, uh, who are being acquired, but also you can't forget about your current employees since you want to know how they're going to embrace that as well, how it's going to affect their morale. Um, so a lot of people were concerned with that. I think it's also managing both on both ends to create that harmony on uh, on all fronts, definitely. More talk about HR plus Malcolm and Mel's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. That's next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Remaining moments with Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires of DocuPlus. We'll have the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in just a moment. But first, Christina Longo, HR advisor at FL. We're talking about merging, uh, bringing teams together. Um, how long a process does this take usually? How, If you're merging or taking over a company, uh, what's the ideal length of time to, to get all the employees in sync? Definitely over a 24-month period uh, between the moment that they start till they're fully, fully integrated. One tip of advice I would give to HR, um, you know, people out there who are managing acquisitions is to get a chance where possible, if geographical location permits, to actually meet with the acquired employees at least one month after they've started to get a feel of how well they're integrating, how their morale is. So definitely uh, that's one tip of advice I would have for other HR professionals out there. And you mentioned earlier finding key employees that could be ambassadors definitely, for, for your Definitely, whether side. it's at a management or even lower level sometimes, it doesn't have to be managers. Getting people who are on board, who are going to advocate it, then definitely promote it. Excellent. Thanks, Christina. And uh, thank you. Let's uh, turn to Malcolm and Mel and uh, ask them their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Uh, uh, should we start with Malcolm? Sure. Dan, I can say that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by great people and uh, gentlemen here with us, Mel, uh, who's a great mentor to me. And the one piece of advice that he instilled in me many years ago that stays true today was uh, be true to myself, be honest, be ethical, stay focused, and always take care of my clients and my employees. And if I did that, the chances of success would always weigh in my favor every time. So that would be a piece of advice I'd give to anybody. After that comment, dinner's got to be on me, I guess. What can (laughs) I say? My one piece of advice, and you know, I've had 50 years of business experience, listen to your customers. Find out what they're going through. Find out what their pain is. If you listen to your customers, they will always or typically always lead you down the right path. And that's why uh, our brand is what it is today. And that's why some of the successes we've had, it's because we've listened and we've acted. Mike, a quick takeaway from the show tonight? Um, you know, as you, you, you listen to all of the guests, and I, the thing that always comes forward to me is that from the entrepreneurial side, the, the key is always passion. Passion in what you do. You listen to these gentlemen talk about what they're doing. You listen to Christina talk to me. There's that passionate side of, of the work that they're doing. Uh, and the other is, and this is where most people fall down, is execution. you got to get it done. Thanks so much, uh, Mike, and thanks for filling in for Josh this week. It's always a pleasure once a year. He'll be back uh, next week on Today's Entrepreneur. Thanks to Christina Longo, HR advisor at FL. Thanks, Christina. Uh, Malcolm D'Souza and Mel Squires, of course, of DocuPlus. Really great story. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping by, guys. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, Next week on the program, uh, this is going to be interesting. Rise Kombucha will be our profile on Today's Entrepreneur. The Night Side is next. Good night.